Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. One of the very early guests on the podcast was Dorian Anderson. He was fresh off his bicycle big year, and we had met at the Rio Grande Bird Festival in the fall of 2015, the first real birding festival I ever went to, when he was a keynote speaker, and again on a repositioning cruise from Los Angeles to Vancouver the next year. So when I was starting the podcast in 2019, I was hopeful that Dorian would agree to be a guest. I thought it would be a big get to get a nationally known speaker, and I was really excited when he agreed. So you can hear him on episode number five from February 2019. On that episode, we talk about his birding story, his biking big year, briefly about his alcoholism and addictions. So we don't focus so much on that on this episode. Dorian has a new book that just came available in print in late October, and on November 2nd on Kindle when I got it, just a day or two before I'm recording this intro, so I've started reading it and I'm really enjoying it, and he's working hard to get the word out. I hope this helps a little bit, and I encourage all of you to pause the episode right now and go buy his book. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. No, seriously, one of the things I try to do as part of the birding community is help fellow birders when I can, and I know Dorian will appreciate your support if you buy his book. He was recently on the ABA podcast with Nate Swick, talking about his big year, his biking, and addiction issues. I think we take a different approach on this episode, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Bird Banner podcast with Dorian Anderson. Help me welcome Dorian. Dorian, thanks for being on the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, it's great to be back, Ed. I am, I'm really good. I just was out doing a little bike birding this morning. Uh, racked up 80 species right out the backyard. Uh, nothing oh my goodness. Nothing terribly unusual, though red-breasted nuthatch was new for my Coyote Point Park list. Okay, uh, but I'm here. I'm here today, tomorrow, and then I go back to South Africa on Monday. So it's kind of, it's really busy at the moment. I'm only home yeah. for about ten days out of out of thirteen weeks or so, maybe twelve days out of thirteen weeks. Oh my uh, goodness! Uh, give give Sonia lots of attention this ten days. Okay, I know exactly. And tomorrow is actually the fifteenth anniversary of when we met. We met on October 29th of two thousand eight. So I've got a few things planned for her for us tomorrow. Congratulations! That's okay. a big day. Congratulations! Yeah. Good for you. You know, I woke up this morning thinking about your book. Uh -huh. and, yeah, I actually thinking about what a great movie it would make. Oh my word! You know? Yeah. I mean, that, I think that anybody who writes a memoir kind of has that in the back of their head as to like, sure. this would be an awesome movie. Um, it's funny because when I when I gave this talk at PopTech, which is this interesting conference of like fusion of technology and, and art and pop culture. I mean, I was talking about birding. The guy who talked in front of me invented the internet and won the Turing Award, which is the Nobel Prize for computing. So uh, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't Al Gore. <laughs> no, it wasn't Al Gore, okay. uh, but it was, it was, it was, it was kind of overwhelming. I was in, I was in some pretty impressive company, but a couple people were like, dude, this would make an awesome movie. And I'm like, I think so. I just hope that like somebody who makes movies <laughs> thinks that it would make an awesome movie. Yeah, uh, that would be, that would be cool. You know, I, I want to, two of my guests were the McQuaid's. You, you might uh, know uh, Dave and Tammy McQuaid from Florida. They've been doing kind of lower 48 big yearish sort of things as they travel for year, right yeah for for a year and, and anyway uh when i talked to them they they told me their story of getting started as birders and their story started by watching the big year movie oh uh, did it really it, it did and they they literally went to the movie with some friends on like a tuesday and they said that sounds like a blast i think and they weren't they'd never been birding 
I mean, uh-huh. they'd never been birding in the, uh, or essentially never been birding. And so they got together with two friends and decided to do a big weekend in Florida and went out uh, and, and chased around and, you know, probably found, I think they said they found 68 species in Florida among two or three of the birds they identified don't exist in Florida. Uh, uh-huh. And, uh, and so they, but they were off and running and they've just, so something like a, a book or a movie can really have influence on people. You yeah. never think so. And I think it would be, I mean, at a time when the country is, is relatively, if not completely divided, I think that my story as I ride through red states and blue states and stay with a myriad of different people, like a random sampling of the American public in many respects, like I think that it's a good commercial for America in that everybody took care of me. And I also think it's really visual. Like we've had we've had a lot of like hiking movies, but we really haven't had a a big biking movie. And I think that the biking from a cinemagraphic standpoint, like me riding through the Everglades, me riding through the Rockies, me riding through the desert, yeah. me riding along the Pacific coast, me riding through the snow in, in like the Northeast would be, would be really interesting. So it would, it's, it's, uh, it's waiting for the taking it to the highest bidder. Uh, That's what anyway. I, feel like, I feel like the book is selling really well. Like it's doing really well in the birding community. People have been fantastic. I didn't really anticipate people ordering the book and then it arriving at their house and then, uh, them taking a picture with the book and then reposting that on their own Facebook page and that kind of like mm-hmm. the advertising. So I feel like it's doing really well in the birding community. And I think that I feel like I'm kind of like one or two lucky breaks away from it, like getting out of the birding community. If people in the birding community read it and then recommend it to non-birding friends and then it kind of snowballs from there. But I feel mm-hmm. like I need one break, like the right person reading it and then the right in- speaking invitation or the right kind of advertising uh, kind of windfall or whatever, like, I feel like they're it's building a lot of momentum and I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. Let's just say that. I know you spent a lot of time and effort making this a book for them for more than just a birder's book. Uh, but let's we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Some of my listeners uh, are maybe not uh big time birders uh-huh. and might say, who the hell is Dorian Anderson? Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I did a little bit of this in my intro, uh, but Dorian is a, a birder who did a big year on a bicycle in 2014 and now has written a book about that. Let's, I'll keep it real brief. Uh, but if you, Dorian, if you were going to uh, read the, what do they call it? The back page blurb or back cover blurb or something like that, the brief description of your book, uh, wh- how would that read something like? Yeah, so I think that in some respects there there are some similarities to other big year books or the big year movie, if people have seen that, where the bulk of the book is the the linear narrative of my big year as as I kind of conceived the idea, planned it out, and then as it unfolded as I pedaled around the country. So it's a it's a true adventure story in that my life was on the line every day that I took to America's roads and I rode through snow and I saw the country in a really unique way and I met lots of people. And a lot of those people helped me kind of re recalibrate and, and rethink my definitions of success and happiness. Uh, so that's like the traditional adventure narrative. But in the background of that is my history of alcoholism and, and drug abuse. And so what people will realize as this second narrative kind of unfolds in flashback form through the primary narrative is that the, the narratives are kind of coming together. Uh, and you're kind of wondering, how does this guy who's like an alcoholic scientist end up kind of <laughs> metamorphosizing into a 
bike wa- a bike watching a bird watching biker or cyclist i should say because i'm not a biker in that <laughs> sense of the word uh so i think that it and like there's a specific hinge on which those those two narratives swing but it, it took a long time to figure out how to braid those two narratives into a coherent story and and kind of build character and write dialogue and so on and so forth but i think that that story of self-discovery, like the vulnerability that I try to put forward, like discussing the mistakes that I made kind of personally, professionally, uh, will resonate with people beyond, say, will my search for greater sage grouse, right? Like the birders will certainly love that description of my time in Colorado, but it's really, it's really how that search and specifically one person that I met during that search forced me to recalibrate some of my preconceived notions of, of what I wanted out of my own life. So I think that that's, that's where I hope that the book will, it will get to a broader audience, so to speak. That's probably more than would fit on a back cover, but yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the front yeah. back cover and a dust cover of a hardcover book. Right, 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 exactly. Very, good, very well. Anyway, Duran, I'm a little bit jealous. I, I pre-ordered your book a long time ago, like most of my friends did, uh-huh. uh, but I, I'm a Kindle reader. I, I've ah, just, okay. I've just come to not, uh, my library is full. I just don't want more hardcover books if I don't, uh, physical books if I don't absolutely have I get to. It. I've got that Kindle Paperwhite that I just love. You can read it on the beach in the sun. It's, uh-huh. For me, it works beautifully. Uh, and you can read it at night when, without uh, putting the light on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Makes total anyway. sense. There's an audio book coming too. So some people will oh, go there. Well. Yeah. Anyway, so I've been jealous that that hasn't been released yet. Uh, and, uh, and so my friends uh, came on the doorstep and they're raving about this book. Did you get Dorian's book? Did you read it? Said, no, I'm waiting for my <laughs> version. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I can't wait to read it. It's gotten rave reviews in my, in Tacoma. Let's put it that way. I talked to Bruce Labari yesterday. Uh, Bruce and Ken and I had a just, you know, how some days are magic, you know, it's yeah, yeah. A magic birding day. Three really good friends. Uh, Ken, Ken and Bruce are my longtime birding buddies. Uh, and we got together and we drove to to the coast a couple hour drive. So and you know, baseball, we're all big baseball fans, and we talked baseball. It was just a great drive down. Uh, uh-huh. and we got there and we pull into the 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 specific location and the the scissor tail flycatcher that we were chasing was right on the wire in the beautiful morning light just fabulous uh and and we spent the rest of the day we got king eider uh, a queen eider you know female yeah, king yeah, yeah, exactly. uh we got a, a tropical kingbird a palm warbler uh two or three county first birds for me down there all on a beautiful sunny day at the coast and it was just oh one of those wonderful days you know yeah it's nice when the dominoes fall like that king eider and scissor tail flycatcher birds that i've seen in a couple other spots in the lower 48 but i haven't i haven't seen either on the west coast yet and there have been a couple that have shown up like in coastal california but i'm always away and so i haven't i haven't been able to and they haven't been within biking distance yet so i haven't i haven't ticked those two birds for california so i'm envious that you saw them for your washington state and whatever county they were in list yeah pacific county yeah very Uh, cool uh so uh, uh, diversion but you know sometimes a day like that, I just am still feeling good. You it's know? nice. Just it's a just great the, day. And that's, that's the beauty of birding. Like I I was just out on my bike and I went out for two and a half hours. I only rode like, I mean, the park is an out, a mile behind my house. And I rode like four or five miles through the park and home. And I was like, man, you know what? I'm really stoked to go to South Africa on Monday. But I, I missed just like birding locally. Like it was, it started out at 48 degrees and probably ended up at 65. And it was just, it was so pretty. And it was so nice to go out and see chestnut back chickadee and, and a lot of my local birds. I heard a Sora. I haven't heard a Sora in months. Oh, so nice. 
it's the same kind of thing. Like you just get a really, really nice day and, and you go out and you engage with friends and you engage with the birds and you just, you're outside taking deep breaths and just kind of decompressing and not worrying about other nonsense. And that's, that's the whole point. Like, yeah, like listing and all that stuff is fun. And it, it provides the motivation to go where you did yesterday, but ultimately you remember it because of the time you spent with the other people and, and the experience you had being outdoors. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So you are, you're now a, a bike a cyclist. I mean, a bona fide yeah, cyclist. Kind of uh, had, you, had, had you done much biking before you big year? No, I done zero. I was, I mean, I had ridden a bike <laughs> around, I, I'd ridden the bike around Stanford, uh, ironically, mostly under the influence of alcohol to and from frat parties. So that was always a bit of an adventure, but yeah, I had done next, I had done minus like the childhood norm of like riding around the neighborhood, sure. uh, riding around the college campus. I'd done no cycling by the time that I could, I conceived the bicycle big year idea. And that, that made for a lot of misadventures at the outset. And I think I it's, a, it's, it a better, it's a better story as a result. Like the story isn't very good if like, here's what I planned out and everything was like exactly as I planned and nothing went wrong. And I didn't get hit by cars and I didn't get attacked by dogs and I didn't nearly get hit by lightning and I didn't have to cycle through snow and I didn't almost get run over by by tanker trucks like the story would be really boring if, if that stuff didn't happen and it all did so it yeah. was, it was I, I i just yeah i am a chicken shit biker i a bicyclist <laughs> i roads for me are terrifying uh -huh. yeah, my, my one cycling story i i oh this is 15 years ago uh, some number of years ago when i was still young enough to feel like i could do almost anything. You're invincible, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and I changed my location of work. Uh, you know, I, we had two, three offices in my medical practice. And I switched to a different location. It was uh, six miles from home on kind of back roads. It usually seemed like they're not very busy. And I thought, I so I went to Costco and I bought like a, a city cruiser sort of bike for 120 bucks or something. And, and I said, I'm just going to bike to work. This is perfect. So the first day I bike to work is beautiful. I'm going against traffic. It's a beautiful morning. I cruise into work. I said, this is so cool. I get out of work at like six o'clock in the afternoon. And this road is like a drag racing track. It's just horrible. I'm driving back and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I know bikers say, hold your lane, don't and 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 this the little side of the road just narrowed and narrowed and narrowed until there's about eight inches between the cars and the dirt and me and i'm trying to stay in that thing i should have just gotten off and walked but i didn't and i kind of got pushed off the road into the dirt and went down into a culvert oh, and no. I'm going kind of fast and i can't really break and i fall and i whack my head on the pavement almost get run over by a car smash my glasses and it was like oh and i've that was my ever since then i've kind of really that was the end of it huh wow you're lucky <laughs> to get out. Of, that that was the end of my uh my biking to work but anyway uh glad you really, survived like i'm glad i survived experience. too but i am a i am biking a bike in the park sort of guy but you are a uh birding cyclist you bird from home all the time so when you're home uh, that's your thing you uh, yeah. i've been following you on facebook a little bit and and you've got you know you kind of that's one of your lists how, how yeah, do you yeah. uh, get birds from home tell me about that so what i do there is is that i i use the bike kind of in place of a car so everything is done as an out and back ride from my apartment 90 97 of those are day rides so whether that's five miles down the bay and back or 25 miles up to San Francisco and back. Uh, most of those are day rides. When there are specific and special birds that I want to go and pursue, I will often design a multi-day loop, like if my wife is out of town, for instance. So California condor is is around, but the only place you can get it 
pinnacles is 150 miles away. So I ended up doing uh, like a five day loop where I rode down to pinnacles and I picked up black Swift and Cassin's Kingbird and Canyon Wren and some other things, some other kind of like Southern species uh, or Southwestern species on my ride down there and, and then came back. So it ended up being like a five day trip, 300 miles to get that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I totally, I'll never begrudge anybody chasing birds and cars. Like I totally get why people do it. It's fun. It's easy. You can have friends with you. You can have the radio on, but I really like the logistical and kind of like the engineering challenge of, okay, this is where the bird is. I have this much time available to me. Uh, the wind is doing this. The weather is doing this. Traffic is doing this. Like, how can I get this bird? Whereas in the car, it's so reflexive. You just jump in and drive. So I, I like the problem solving aspect of it. It means I miss some things. Like there's a yellow crown night heron. It's the first one in the county in 20 years. And it's 25 miles from my house, but I won't drive to see it because that will then I, I want to wait till I have the the time to like bike to see it. And if it leaves before then, so be it, you know, but it just, for me, it's the challenge and it keeps me in shape and it, it gives me some, it gives me some purpose and some structure. So it's a lot of fun. I definitely really enjoy it. And I mean, everybody thinks I'm crazy. The other thing is that I'm, I'm so used to city riding and urban riding. So I live, I live in a pretty built up area, like right along San Francisco Bay, but I have like no problem riding in San Francisco with like my hand on the side of a Muni bus, just kind of like, I'm not technically really fending it off, but just kind of like knowing where the bus is of like putting my hand on it and so on and so forth. They're riding through really, really tight quarters in, in, in something really developed areas. Like after my big year, like after riding through Times Square and riding through downtown Los Angeles and riding through Metro Miami and things like nothing really phases me anymore. <laughs> yeah. Talk about jumping into the fire. I, yeah. I, I, I thought about that also recently. How the heck did you pack for that trip? Did you bring a scope? You had I a did, scope. Yeah. And you had a scope and a camera and bins. What'd you have? One pair of underwear? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it must have been quite a logistic uh nightmare or challenge. Yeah. yeah, it was. And I think that I thought about having a trailer uh, on my bike, but I ultimately decided on panniers because it would it would limit what I could bring. I had to be a bit more selective. So when I started, I started in the Northeast in the winter and that presented all kinds of problems. But the reality was, is that if I wanted a shot at 600 species, I had to start in the Northeast to get things like common eider and greater blackback gull and glaucus gull and little gull and, and these things that are much easier to get in the Northeast than they are anywhere else. But at the outset, like, yeah, I had scope, tripod, laptops that I could blog, cameras that I could take bird pictures, like an SLR with a proper 400 millimeter lens, uh, lots of insulation. I always had some extra food with me. I always had water with me, uh, first aid kit, extra layers, extra clothes. I carried a pair of hiking boots with me. At the outset, I guess I was biking in hiking boots because I couldn't use... <laughs> biking shoes that yeah. could <laughs> you'd have frostbite no. but my my bike like all of my stuff when you put everything on there and uh, and like accounted for the weight of the bike and the weight of the racks and like a bike light and all of that stuff it was about 80 to 85 pounds so it was not light uh and as i went along i shed i shed some of that um and at one point like when i left texas i actually sent my scope ahead to seattle uh and then picked it up five months later because i didn't need to carry the the scope and the tripod through the Rockies. Like I, I wanted to shed that, whatever it was, seven, six or seven pounds. So that I wasn't pushing that stuff uphill. And then I picked it up again. Then I used it a lot on the coast. Well, there's some things, sometimes that I probably missed it in, in 
the interior, like in Wyoming and Colorado and Idaho. Yes. But ultimately there was no bird that I missed that I was like, darn, if I had the scope, I would have got that. So that strategy of like mailing it ahead, a little bit of cheating. Uh, but I don't think anybody's going to begrudge me that given what I survived in the course of the year. But yeah, I mean, I it's like, that's okay. Eventually with the clothing, you just had like clothes A and B and I, I, you would like cycle in one set of clothes and then you would wear the other set of clothes around the hotel or the house when you arrived. And every third day you would wash the cycling clothes and just that was that, you know, you, you really had to streamline so you didn't carry too much junk. Yeah. So your book is finally out. How did a scientist slash technical writer morph into a competent novel uh, i don't know if it's a novel but book writer or story right writer. right yeah so the answer is how is with a lot of trial and effort and pain and failure and the other part of it is very slowly so i didn't do a lot of writing for the first two years i got off the bike circumstances dictated that my wife and i had to move to la and, and i I decided to work in LA because I didn't like LA, but at least I could have some structure with work. So I didn't really do any writing. But then when my wife got her job at Airbnb and we moved up to the Bay Area, she's like, look, I'm making some real money right now. You're doing a lot of birding, a lot of a lot of travel writing. Like now is the time to to stop and like work on this book and bang and really bang away at the writing. And so I I I kind of wrote one draft and then tried to go at the agenting process and didn't get any bites. And I was kind of despondent. And then I I hired somebody to help me like rework the narrative and that person's input was okay but I reworked the narrative based on her feedback and then went at the agenting process again and then had no bites and then kind of caught a lucky break and I had my current publisher the, the publisher who ultimately ended up signing and publishing my book Chelsea Green based in Vermont they they had a bunch of birders on their editorial board and they're like we we hear you're writing a book about birds and birding so can we just can we see it can we look at it can you send us what, like the whole thing and i'm like yeah this is like my third draft and i'm kind of over it i don't want to do too much more with it and i sent it to them they read it and they had some good feedback but it was still like another they gave me the editorial feedback the really critical editorial feedback that my even the editor that i hired didn't give me and that like agents don't have the time to give me. Uh, so I finally got that feedback. And but it, then it took another like eight or nine months of writing around my tour schedule to, to iron out to iron out like their kinks. And so like one of their, one of their critiques was like, you're not likable, we don't find ourselves rooting for you. And I'm like, how, how the hell do I make myself likable? Be like, I'm really cool. Like, I don't throw kittens into into blenders. So therefore, I'm a nice person like, but like, basically ended up ended up in through dialogue in the first chapter, like writing about my the relationship to my wife and I and having us interact. I didn't think about that as like a likability thing. I just thought like this would be a better place to start this book. And then when I gave them that new beginning, they're like, dude, this is awesome. Like this is, we get to see you through your wife's eyes and through your wife's words and the dialogue and the interaction between you two. So now we want to root for you. And I didn't really think about it as like a likability problem. I thought about it as just like, this is a good place to start the book. But like, I didn't take English in college. I didn't know how to write dialogue. I didn't know how to build suspense. I didn't know how to to build tension. Uh, and so it took a lot of false starts to, to figure out how to do that. And the story, the story is a bit more complex than a lot of other big year stories. A lot of other big year stories kind of center on the, on the big year and then might talk about like a few months before and a few months after. Whereas this is like more of a memoir. This is the first 35 years of my life. And this is, these are the mistakes that I made. These are the decisions that I made. And this is how this time on the bicycle helped me to come to grips with with those outflows. Uh, so it took a lot of time to kind of, to re-keep, I had all the puzzle pieces in front of me, but I couldn't arrange them into, into a coherent picture 
without a lot of screwing up and ultimately without a little bit of editorial help towards the end. So it was a, it was a, a labor of love. And when I finally got the book signed, I was like, I'm never, ever, ever writing another book. That was such a nightmare. Like I, I <laughs> riding the bike around was so much more pleasurable than writing a book. But now that I'm getting to reap some of the rewards of like the public speaking and, and having people be like, dude, I just had no idea that this is like what your life was like before before you got on the bike. Like we know you as a birder, but we don't really know you as a person. And, and now we do because of the the like honesty that you present in the book. And like, so now I'm getting, now I'm getting that side of it. And so now I'm like, huh, maybe it'd be interesting to write another book down the line. I'm not, I'm not, not going to start anything anytime soon, but it was, it was a really long process and painful process, but satisfying process when it was all done. Very cool. Well, yeah, and you know, the heavy work is done. I mean, you've learned how to write. Right. Uh, not that, you know, I mean, you're not a, a multi-book ripping out five books a year novelist or something. Not going to happen. But but <laughs> but you've you've kind of, it's a huge skill set. And uh, yeah. you've learned a lot of it. And from what I've heard, learned it well. So congratulations. Well, thank and you very let's much. hope the book just rocks. Uh, yeah. What are, you, what are you up to? You said you headed for South Africa. I think I think you do a lot of tours there, don't you? Yeah, I've been, I, I ended up, it's been interesting because I, my wife qualified for like a, a six week sabbatical from Airbnb after surviving five years. And so we used that to go to South Africa for a month and Namibia for two weeks last summer. And so I really got a good, a good grasp on the birds down there, specifically in the Kruger area, like in the West Eastern part of the country. But I did some stuff around Cape Town as well. And so I did that last summer and then tropical birding was like, well, why don't you lead the photo tour to South Africa? I did that last year. Uh, and photo tours are great because you don't need to know every little brown bird because the photographers are more interested in the zebras and they're more interested in secretary bird and ground hornbills and rollers and, and that kind of stuff and, and African fish eagles and so on and so forth. So that gave me a chance to kind of like reinforce a lot of the birds without needing to know them perfectly. But then after that, then I'd been in Namibia. So they were like, can you do namibia and botswana i'm like yeah totally because even though i haven't seen that many birds in in namibia and i haven't been to botswana i've seen a lot of those birds in south africa before so i had to brush up and learn some new stuff but now i've got after doing back-to-back -back namibia and botswana tours i've got like a really good foothold in southern africa now i'm going back to do the same photo tour that i did last year in two days uh so like i did kenya earlier in the year on a photo tour so i learned east africa doing photo and like the next logical thing would be to do Kenya birding or Kenya or Tanzania birding there. And then I could probably go and do Angola birding now. So it's like, as you kind of claw your way into a geography, uh, you, you master some percentage of the species and then you study your ass off to learn the rest of them before you go. And Africa is great because there isn't a ton of ear birding. Um, I physically hear very well, but I just, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm not going to learn a thousand bird calls. Like I, I should not be guiding in the Amazon anytime soon. Uh, there are people at our company who are way better at the ear birding than I'm I. Uh, and Africa sets up really well for sight birding and for photography. So it, it's a really good match with my interests. Let's put it that way. But yeah, the idea is I am doing a lot of guiding. I'm doing a lot of domestic stuff. Uh, I'm doing some Africa stuff. I'm doing Thailand where I birded before in, in February. I have some local help with that, which will be nice. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like it's becoming kind of a full time thing. Like I'm not going to be guiding eight months of the year. I think my wife and I have agreed kind of three, three and a half months, like 90 to 100 days. And that's perfect. And that gives me other time to promote the book and to ride my bike around here and just kind of engage in other birding projects, which I have which I have a, a lot of in my head now. Good. Uh, so what uh, what sort of gigs are you getting in terms of speaking? Where have you been for speaking? 
Speaking stuff is is kind of right. It's still the industry standard. Lots of like local Audubon chapters. Uh, I'm I've I did a bunch of the festivals kind of between in the few years like after after I got off of the bicycle and completed the adventure. So I did Rio Grande back in 2015. That's where I met you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That was uh, <laughs> actually wrapped. You approached me and we wrapped shop in the hotel after that. that yeah. For this, but like I just I just went to the Cape May Fall Festival. Um, I, and then, like I said, I got to speak at this pop tech conference that was, that was totally, totally unique and different. Like a lot of people like, dude, you should give a Ted talk about this. So if that invitation ever came in, that would be awesome. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping to break out of the, just the birding circuit, but there's still, I still have a lot of unfinished business in the birding circuit. Like I, the San Diego festival, like by the time my book got, we had the the stuff nailed down for the release date and whatnot. They had already extended invitations to like three keynote speakers, but that's a place I'd love to go. Like I was a bit disappointed. I couldn't get into the biggest week. Like I, I kind of had radio silence from them, which was a bummer because like, that's one of the biggest and most exciting, like energy packed festivals of the year. And like, I wrote to them, my publisher wrote to them. We, we just never heard back. So I don't know. Maybe they plan way, way, way ahead. I don't know. Yeah, it was a bummer that we didn't hear back even like, hey, we're, we're full. Like, we'd love to have you. Maybe we can talk about next year. Because I'd, lo- I'd love to be there. Um, yeah, so, I'd like to go to that sometime too. Just to, for the people experience. Of it's fun. Like, I've been there the last two years. I guided a tour that went through there. And then I was there in like a in a promotional capacity last year. Just kind of on my own. Uh, well, with Tropical Birding as well. But yeah, I mean, it's... It, hard because the one thing i have to be careful of is that and i'd love to speak everywhere like i'd love to speak at every single autobahn chapter the problem that i have is that once i pin myself to speaking on on august 10th at anywhere i can't do tours which is my real income in Mm -hmm. august because if there's a 14-day tour that goes august 1 to 14 i can't do it and then if there's a tour that goes august 9 to 30 i can't do it so yeah you have to be this is the thing which is a bit of a bummer i have to i have to be really really selective about which things which things i which i accept and what i need to find a way to do is like chain five or six of them together and gang them up sure well and i'm hoping that like i mean best western was a sponsor of my year and gave me six thousand bucks in credit to use at their hotel so uh i'm gonna go back to them and be like look guys like i'd love to speak at like a travel conference uh at and promote for you guys and continue stumping for you guys because I believe in your brand. Uh, but then I could get into like more of the corporate world because the that that opens up a few more doors than does the the like local Audubon chapters. Like I love going and speaking sure. to a room of, of 20 people, but ultimately if I could speak to a room of 2000 people, that's where the the opportunities are going to kind of like exponentially appear at that stage. So for sure. For sure. But I'm a total ham, dude. I'm a total ham. Like you put me in front of a room full of people and I'm a total attention hound. And I love it. Like the more people you put me in, put me in front of, like the more energetic I get and the more, the more animated I get. And I, I I like to tell people, I don't so much give talks as put on shows. Like I'm jumping around. I'm I'm really enthusiastic. So if you want to see the Dorian show, (laughs) please contact me. (laughs) Well, you know, you, you should get a hold of the birders show. Have you, do you know those guys? Uh, oh, oh, Diego Calderon. Oh, Chris Bell and Diego. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was actually talking to Diego recently. He said they're kind of a little bit on hold right now until the beginning of the oh, year. Oh, okay. Uh, so I think that I'll touch base with them in January. But that you would be, you would be good with those guys. They're, they're, uh, they have fun too. And it's been fun, like doing all these podcasts with people, like just being able to riff with the hosts and kind of having some amount of structure, but then seeing where it goes, like hearing about how your day yesterday went. It's like, 
a fun part of this. It, it's awesome to be able to interact and, and let the host have a little bit of airtime as well. You know, that's the whole point. Yeah, it's a, it's a collaborative thing. It's a, I really hope that your book takes off. I, I, I've been cheering for you since I followed your big year on, on, on your website and I'll put a link in the podcast notes to, oh, excellent. The, yeah, yeah. to the, the biking for birds website, uh, whatever it was that, that uh, yeah, exactly. I followed you on and, uh, and you have a blog too. Uh, the speckled hatchback. Yeah, it's tough. That blog, I don't want to say I've shut that blog down, but between book writing, when like I was on, once I, once I was under deadlines of like, we need this, we need this, and we need this by these dates, like the book writing, I mean, sorry, the, the blog just kind of fell by the wayside. The other problem is, is that in, in traveling so much for tropical birding, I don't have a lot of stuff to write about in terms of like my local my local sure. bike birding interest it's, it's a bummer like i haven't been doing as much bike birding because i've been away like i was in i was in kenya for 10 days and then i was in south africa for 10 days and then i was in namibia and botswana for 35 days like from mid mid august to mid-october home for a week east coast for a week home for four days south africa for 17 days home for a few days like so it's it's been difficult. And I also have to prepare for trips, prepare for tours and study, and then write trip reports, which are not trivial. They take up a whole bunch of time. And yeah, like, I mean, no guide is going to say they like writing them. So I think it's, it's pretty safe to say I hate writing these trip reports, but they're they're great marketing documents for, they for are. iterations because they have a day-by-day blow, blow breakdown of what we did and what we saw and the funny things that happened to us and photos and things. But those take like a week to put together when I get back. Oh, so. big deal. Big yeah. deal. Yeah. One of the best trip reports I've read is your trip reports from New Zealand. Oh, oh the stuff goodness. on my blog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was on your blog. It was really, really fun. Uh, I, and super detail. Like I have it bookmarked because I, I one of my, uh, yeah, I guess we all have our bucket list sort of things. One of mine right. is to go birding on each continent. You know, it's uh-huh. just, yeah, that seems doable. I've got some finances. I can handle that. And I went to Antarctica, so I've got the hard one behind me. I've You've been done to Africa. Hard one, right? Yeah, I've been to Antarctica and Africa and Europe. I, I think the only one left is Aus- the Australian continent. I'm trying to decide: Do I do New Zealand? Do I do Australia? Do I both? How do you know? But your uh, your uh, post kind of made me think: Maybe I do New Zealand. Well, here's cool. what I would say: I, I birded both places. My first trip to Australia was a hot mess. All I did was party. I was 25. I like slept on the beach. I literally took like a pair of shorts and a toothbrush, and it was a disaster. Saw no birds. But I've been back to Australia since birding and did a lot of stuff in Queens, Queensland, and it was really great. Uh, if if you if you are willing to if you can do pelagic birding and pelagic birding is your thing, go to New Zealand. Like. I've been pelagic birding there a couple times. It is fantastic. I think that if you are more into like sheer numbers of species and specifically like really striking and colorful species, go to Australia. But if you're like, you know what? I don't need to see, I don't necessarily need to maximize my number, uh, but I, and I want to do a bunch of pelagic birding as part of whatever trip that I do, then go to New Zealand because it is like going to Stewart Island is great and you Pelagic bird watch on the way. Kakora is great. I haven't done the Haraki Gulf off the North Island yet, but that can be fantastic as well. So I think that that's the biggest thing that New Zealand offers is the incredible pelagic birding. Sounds like two really good places to go. I'll have to anguish over the decision or probably just do both. Yeah. And then go to the other at some point. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long ways over there. So lumping them together would certainly make a lot of sense. We shall see. 
You can do, if you, especially if you do that, you can do the North Island of New Zealand. Like the South Island is more spectacular. It's twice as big. Uh, but like you can fly into Auckland and then like spend a few days there and bird, bird the Haraki Gulf, bird Taupo and bird like 90 mile beach in that area. And you can do that in a week. And then you can continue on to new in to Australia for, for another two weeks. But once you go to the South Island, then you're kind of, it's more of a commitment. So you yeah. need more time in New Zealand if you're going to throw, if you can do the South Island. Well, lots of decisions to make and research to do. That's that, you know, that is part of the fun of being a birder. Right. Kind of dream, scheming and dreaming and planning and yeah, figuring it all out. So I'm looking forward to that process too. Have you uh, driven on the left-hand side of the road before? I have, I have, yeah, I, in England, not in, uh, not in Australia or New Zealand, but but it's not a deal. But some some people are like, dude, once it comes to like driving on the other side of the road, like I'm taking a tour there because I can't deal with the driving. Yeah. If you can do the driving, then it, then it's not, then you, it's manageable. Biking in traffic terrifies me. Driving on the left side of the road, I can handle that. <laughs> That's all. Everywhere that I'm doing these international tours, Kenya is left side of the road, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Thailand. Yeah. Everywhere that I'm doing tours right now is left hand side of the roads. But most it. of the places you have a driver, though, don't you? No, I, I mean, do. In Kenya, we had a driver, but Namibia, Botswana, South Africa, I do the driving. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, and I'll do it in Thailand as well. And I've driven there before. It wasn't too bad when I was there on my own. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank God for Google Maps. I'm sure. Right, exactly. With that, it's easy as long as you don't have to go into the big cities. Like I've driven through Johannesburg and Cape Town, but like, I think driving through like, downtown Bangkok would be would be a next level challenge in a in a 15 passenger van. <laughs> What is uh, internet like in Africa? I, you know, when I was there, it's kind of, uh, I've been there a couple of times, but, you know, in Latin America, it's kind of shocking how good the cell coverage is. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I am boggled. I visit my daughter in Costa Rica or a bird in Latin America. It's like, you're in the middle of nowhere in a mountain. You've got all kinds of bars. It's no problem yeah, yeah. at all. And, I, and it, in Asia, kind of similar. I mean, yeah. the places I've been at least have been great uh, cell coverage. What's it like in Africa? Yeah, I think all the lodging has has Wi-Fi, which is nice. But in South Africa, I I have service almost everywhere that I've been in South Africa, and I've now I, I've now spent a I've seen a lot of that country. Um, Namibia is one of the few places that my my like U.S. SIM card I have like one of these all encompassing international data. Oh, okay, so much time overseas. Namibia is one of the few places that I've been. It's actually the only place that I've been where I've had to buy a local SIM card because my plan doesn't work there. Um, but the signal there was pretty good. Namibia is particularly difficult because it's the second least densely populated country in the world behind only Mongolia. It only has about wow. 2.8 million people in an area that's like Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada put together. So it's it's Ooh. it's really it's really a big area with few people. So there are some like big dead zones in Namibia, but other places like I just haven't had a problem. Kenya, I didn't have any problems like I haven't had, I was in Peru and I didn't have any problems in Peru earlier this year either. So yeah, I mean, it's Google like, maps work. It's good. It's getting better and better. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Well, Darren, I won't take more of your time. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, let's wrap up with telling people how they can buy your book. Uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they want to. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that this has convinced you like, Oh my God, this guy's totally crazy. I got to read his book. Uh, so yeah, it's on Amazon. So if you just go into Amazon and Google, uh, birding under the influence or once you put it into the Amazon search field, it comes up. That's probably the best place to get it. If you are, if you're not an Amazon person, you can also get it at bookshop.org. I think bookshop.com, but hopefully 
it's also going to filter into brick and mortar bookstores at some point. But I think that for right now, Amazon is probably the best way to do it. If you can convince the other thing is if you can convince your local Audubon chapter to buy, buy a whole bunch of copies at discount and then sell them kind of to raise money, then that helps everybody because your local Audubon chapter makes some money. And then uh, I saw more book- idea. That's so a that's great idea. Part. And hopefully yeah. I'll be doing more events where I can do signings and things and so on and so forth. So yeah. Good. Yeah. Is there, I mean, is there a giant bookstore near where you live that you can uh, try to get into? I'm hoping to do some things in San Francisco. My wife is actually helping me with this because I'm, I'm away so much that it's difficult to, to communicate yeah. when I'm like 10 or 12 hours difference and I'm dealing with clients from six in the morning until nine at night. So my wife is helping me orchestrate some of this now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, I think it's a good story. Uh, I think you'll have some good laughs. I think that you'll commiserate with some of the misery that I experienced on the bicycle. And I think that it, I hope that it's a pretty inspiring story and and ties in well with like why birding is, is therapeutic and, and healing in the absence of things like alcohol and drugs or for other people, like whatever yeah. their problems are, like the out of doors and birding and the community at large is so wonderful that it's it's a therapeutic so that's kind of what i want people to to take that's away. A, a timely topic a couple of my guests recently holly merker was my guest recently uh-huh. and she wrote on a therapy and uh it, you know there's all sorts of evidence coming out about how good birding is bird song is relaxing uh being in nature is great and birding's a way to do it so you know it it obviously a different take on healing, but still uh, related. So I think uh, it's uh, timely in that sense too. So good for you. Good for you. And and I'm sure you need all sorts of solace over your Phillies losing the last two games to the Diamondbacks. Oh my word. Uh, I guess, I guess I'll be rooting for the Rangers in the finals because the Rangers lost a number of years ago to the Cardinals. Like tragically, they were then one out of winning and the Diamondbacks won in 2001 when they beat the Yankees. Uh, Yeah. I think that was it. Maybe that was 2000, but they, they yeah. won uh, there. So I'm, I'm pulling for the Rangers. Last night's game was really exciting. So I'll be Oh watching. my word. What a finish. Yeah. That was the anyway, best playoff game that I've seen. And like, and, it, it and was extraordinary. It was awesome and this, and this whole Garcia story is great. So anyway, yeah. enough baseball. Dorian, thank you so much for being my guest on the episode. I appreciate it. You have a great day and safe travels to, yeah, uh, definitely. to, uh, to Africa. Yeah, it'll be great. And hopefully we'll touch base and hopefully I'll see you up in Seattle again at some point. Yeah, that'd be nice. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Bird Banner Podcast. I've had a few writers on the podcast over the years and really haven't had a chance to let you know what I thought of all the books after I read them. I hope to do that soon, either in a blog post or maybe as an episode on the podcast where I kind of do a book review episode of several, if not all of the book books written by authors that I had as guests on the show. I think that'll be fun. Well, I hope you enjoy Dorian's book. I'm enjoying it. Thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding and good day.